On the air everywhere, this is New England Broadcasting. Sweet Tuesday morning came on your smile. Tuesday. Sit down and shut up, and I will talk for half an hour. That's the way this is going to go. Hey, welcome to the program. It is the Ron Van Dam Show. I am Ron Van Dam. Thank you so much for being here. I don't know. You know, this is not my problem, really. will end up being your problem before this is over. <laughs> so, uh, I would contact my therapist if I were you and make an appointment. That or call your local restaurant and make a reservation. Do, just do something. Sometimes I'll drop off shirts that are perfectly clean to the dry cleaners just so I have something to do the next day when the shirts are ready. They always ask me when I go to the dry cleaners if I want starch in my shirts and I always say yes because I know they don't charge you extra for it. So give me the starch. Do you want heavy starch? Does it cost more money? No. Piling on, baby. I want so much starch in my shirts that I can't move my arms because there's no extra charge. Let's do it. (laughs) I own a house. And uh, I, I live near woods. I live on woods, kind of. My backyard is woods. And there are a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, mosquitoes are the natural enemy to human beings because they attack you. These are insects that on purpose, for no reason whatsoever, they bite you. They suck your blood. They're tiny little vampires. They don't try to mate with you. There's nothing going on. They just do it. I guess they want your blood. I guess they feed off your blood. That makes them vampires. I don't care how you slice that one. It makes them vampires. So on a nice uh, summer day, I like to sit behind my house, but 
there's all these mosquitoes. As soon as the sun goes down, you can basically hear the mosquitoes go, okay, let's get them. So uh, I had a guy come over to my house yesterday that does mosquito spraying. Uh, and I need to have that done. Otherwise, I get eaten by the insect world. So I've uh, the guy comes over, and he's looking at my property, and he gives me an estimate, and he comes every three weeks and sprays the area so that the mosquitoes don't come near me. I don't know how this works. I also, in the woods, there are a couple of deer, and then there's, there's deer ticks, I also, in the woods, there's some buffalo, alligators, and water bison. I don't think that's true, but what the hell? <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff going on in behind my house. So I spray for mosquitoes. So because I'm somewhat of a comedian, really, I did stand up for a short period of time until I realized that was a stupid idea. So I did some stand-up. So I consider myself somewhat of a comedian. Uh-huh. So I said to the guy, "Try." I just try to be funny. You know, I try to lighten up the situation. Here, we're talking about spraying for these insects that could basically take my life with the triple E virus. Um, I, I don't know what that is, but apparently it's um, not good. Uh, ticks can give you uh, tickonometry. Um, they subscribe you to TikTok. I don't know what ticks do. Uh, you can get Lyme disease. Mm. How about lemon disease? Can you get that if you prefer lemon? No, Lyme disease is named after Lyme, Connecticut, which uh, I, the town must be so proud of <laughs> the exposure they've gotten. What's the horrible disease that neurologically cripples you for the rest of your life? Okay, fine. Welcome to Lyme. Mm, not so much. Not so much. Welcome to Lyme, Connecticut. Mm, no. <laughs> no, thank you. Anyway, so I'm trying to make a joke because that's my way of being friendly is to make a little joke. So the guy, uh, so we're talking about uh, the mosquitoes and the ticks and the airborne viruses and all that kind of thing. And the, uh, what else do they do? Ticks. Oh, fleas. They also do fleas. Yeah. So anyway, so they spray for all of us. So I, so I say to him, uh, hey, <laughs> you can tell I was doing a joke because I started it with, hey, that means a joke's coming. So I say to the guy uh, with the mosquito uh, spraying company, I said, hey, uh, do you have a spray for people? <laughs> he didn't understand what I was talking about. So I had to explain it. I said, well, let's see, um, you spray for these insects. Um, do you have a spray that keeps people away from my backyard? You know what I'm saying, mister? Still didn't laugh. So I'm, obviously I'm not going to go with his company. If he doesn't find my humor to be acceptable in any sense of the word, I cannot deal with him on a business level. So that ain't happening. So the search goes on for a company to spray my backyard every three weeks. <laughs> and this is how I survive the summer, right? Everybody gets so hopped up about the spring and the summer coming up. It's going to be beautiful weather. It's not beautiful weather. Last year, uh, attacked by mosquitoes, all these animals come out of the woodwork, 
and they want to live inside my roof for some reason. Um, yeah, it's awful. Uh, people running around without much clothing on, uh, yelling and making noise and playing music loud. And uh, Welcome to the summer. Uh, heat waves, uh, uh, gigantic air conditioning bills, uh, sweating into your clothes. Oh, the summer. Um, last year, I, we had a drought where I live. Uh, my lawn turned a nice golden brown which is a fine tint, but not for a lawn. Perhaps a golden brown accent wall in your living room. That's acceptable. Maybe a golden brown uh, top of some sort to wear. But golden brown lawn, not favorable. Doesn't look that good. So I had that. to. I mean, what a wonderful summer that was. Anyway... Um, and I'm speaking to lawn people. They're, uh, they're going to mow my lawn. That price went up, too. I don't mow my lawn anymore. I think I've told this story before. When I was like six or seven years old, my father made me lawn, lawn the mow, mow the lawn. So I've been mowing lawns since I was a young child. And then when I... Uh, I just, uh, when I was in an apartment in New York, I didn't have to mow anything. But after that, when I got my first house, I had to mow that lawn like all the time. As soon as I finished mowing the lawn, it was time to start mowing again. And I mowed, uh, through all of my life, I've been mowing things. So I decided at a point, I ain't mowing anymore. I'm sorry. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it anymore. I owe myself that. So uh, I have somebody mow the lawn for me, but uh, that price went up, and uh, so that's going to be expensive. Just to have grass around my house looking okay, I have to pay exorbitant amounts of money. This is this is getting out of hand. It's just getting out of hand. Of course, if I lived in the desert, I wouldn't have a lawn. I'd have sand, but probably someone would have to come over and shovel sand once a week. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know. It's not lawn maintenance. It's sand maintenance. I guess I could live on the beach or something. I don't know. That ain't a good idea either, though. Then you got whales and, and, and sea, uh, sea urchins in your backyard. That doesn't work for me either. Anyway, I'm through complaining. Thank you for listening. That brings me to uh, my fact of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, please prepare yourselves. It is that time again for Ron's fact of the day. Okay. Nice. That's nice. All right. Um, I don't like to sit here and complain about things, although that's the crux of what I do. I could not sleep last night. I fell asleep last night at about 10 o'clock p.m. And I slept for two hours, woke up at midnight, and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I decided to take some melatonin. Now, I don't know what that shit is, but apparently uh, I took 10 milligrams of melatonin. I, it was dark. I don't know. I didn't read the bottle. I think that's the proper amount. It was five milligrams per tablet. I took two of them. And I thought, okay, I'll be knocked out. I'll be sleeping any moment now. Six hours later, not so much. Yeah, I fell asleep maybe for an hour and a half, which is what I do anyway on the couch. So I don't understand what's going on.
<sighs> I tried counting sheep. I really did. But when I got past 10, it was like, this is stupid. So I started counting chickens. It did make me a little more tired. Uh, then I started uh, counting deli store owners. I don't know many of them, so that didn't work too well. I know like two of them. I know two deli store owners, that's all. I feel insignificant because I only know two deli store owners. <laughs> I'm surprised I know any of them. Uh, then I started counting Starbucks, and uh, that almost put me to sleep. Uh, then when I started counting CVSs near my house, that knocked me out, man. Well, there are just so many of them. That really tired me out. And I slept for an hour and a half. <sighs> so anyway, that's what happened. I have an interesting guest coming up a little bit later in the program that I think you'll find fascinating, but not so much me. But you will. And there you have that. Oh, my God, huh? Oh, my God. Uh, I had... Uh, I went to a winery on uh, Sunday. There's a winery near where I live. And I thought that they'd be serving wine, but it wasn't. I just walked into the place, and there was a bunch of people just whining. They're going, I don't like this. I'm not very happy. I don't know what to do. Nobody laughs at my jokes about mosquitoes. I don't mean just a bunch of whiny bastards. I didn't like it. And then uh, Trump was there. He was whining. You know, I, I, I won the election, but nobody believes me. I don't know what to do. I never lose. Oh, what a whiny bastard. He was the worst. No, it was a winery. It was a vineyard. And uh, their wines are pretty good, you know. So I got there, and uh, but, you know, wines are expensive all of a sudden. If you go to Costco or a cheap liquor store, you can get a bottle of wine, like, for six, seven bucks, and it's okay. See, I'm not what they call a wine snob. I know that's a derogatory way of putting it, but I don't know the difference between a good wine and a bad wine. All I know is the difference between wine and red vinegar. Other than that, I don't know the difference. So I'm sitting there, uh, and I'm drinking some wine and uh, chomping on some crackers and pretzels and things like that. And There were a bunch of people there, and they were also drinking wine, and some of them were getting very friendly. What is it about wine and alcohol that makes people, like, really friendly all of a sudden? It's kind of odd. It's like it's Christmas all the time, that kind of friendly. All of a sudden, um, our differences are broken down all because of a glass of wine. Hey, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, buddy? I love you, man. You don't even know me. What are you talking about? They get very emotional and very sensitive. And wine does, just alcohol does things to people. It really, it changes them into different people. It's a little bit scary sometimes because I don't know if the wine and the alcohol makes them who they really are or turns them into somebody that they're really not. I don't know. Do you know the answer to that? When someone's getting a little high, you know, 
and they're getting really friendly and mushy and that kind of thing. Are they really friendly and mushy or is the alcohol making them friendly and mushy? Well, the alcohol is making them friendly and mushy, but which is real? Which one's real? You know what the answer is? Who the hell cares? Get me more wine. That's about it. That's about it. This place, uh, this vineyard also had some cows. They had a little area uh, uh, in the field where they had cows. And they had chickens. And I guess they are selling the chicken eggs. Um, and uh, that goes under the category of if it comes fresh from a farm, it's got to be good. Not necessarily. You could get a rotten chicken. I don't know these chickens personally. I don't know if they were free range, half of a range, uh, no range. I don't know what the hell they were, but there was a chicken coop or co-op, I guess is what you call it. Is it a co-op or is it a coop? I never could figure that out. Spelled the same, but there's no dash in between the two O's. So I don't know what it is. But I bought six eggs, which in, uh, if I'm got it correct from my days in grammar school. I think that's six eggs, I believe. So I got six eggs, and I uh, got home, and I tried uh, one egg, and um, it was the same as the wine. I don't know the difference. I just I can't tell the difference. You know, Ron, uh, that's an egg from a local chicken. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's it tastes marvelous. See, some of you are saying, Ron, uh, local eggs really do taste marvelous. I can't tell the difference. I, can't, I never had COVID, but maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I have long COVID anyway because I can't taste the difference. Do you have long COVID? Not the short one, the long one. That's when you get COVID a lot and it kind of stays in your body somewhat for the rest of your life. There's an enjoyable experience, I assume. I don't know. Somehow, ladies and gentlemen, the only claim to fame that I have besides this show, which is really not um, significant, but um, I never got COVID. I never got the damn thing. And everybody that I know, even close members of my family got it, but somehow... It never came into my body. And I'm putting a positive spin on that because I think what really happened is that COVID tried to get into my body and said, no, no, I'm not going in there. I have a feeling that's what happened. The virus got smart and said, oh, my God, um, that's Van Dam. I ain't going in that shit. I, I ain't going there. Let's get somebody else. I, I'm, I'm not going there. That guy, no, no, I am not entering his body. No, I ain't going through his nose. No way. <clears throat> I thought I had COVID at one point when the thing started because I was paranoid. Who wasn't? So I took a COVID test. I didn't have COVID, but I was pregnant. So I, I think I took the wrong test. I think that's what happened. I don't know. I don't know. I try to figure these things out, but I just can't. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, my guest will be joining us. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know how to thank you here. Uh, you're really uh, kind of impressive in a way. Uh, do you like comedy? I don't think my mosquito service guy does. 
but maybe you do? Looking to have a few laughs this weekend? Come to Comedy Night at that bar near your house. Hosted by that local comic who hasn't moved past open mic nights for 20 years. And featuring that guy who told everyone he was moving to Los Angeles to become a famous comic and was back in three months. That girl whose friends all say she's really funny. And your headliner, that guy who was nearly famous until it turned out he liked to send pictures of his penis to strangers. It's a night full of fun and laughs, and it's happening at that bar near your house. Not too far to drive, just a little too far to walk. We'll see you there. Matt Frey joins us now. He's authored a new book called This Is How Your Marriage Ends. It's a hopeful approach to saving relationships. I do a lot of interviews, uh, Matt, and uh, I'll tell you, every once in a while I say to myself, why am I even doing this? This book is like, this is why I do it. Because these are things that we all go through, or most of us do, and yet there are really no explanations, nowhere to turn for it, uh, and and here it is, this book. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much for really, really kind words. Yeah. And that's exactly how I thought about it. I, I, I don't pretend that this book holds the key to all those like un, inexplicable things in our relationships, but I think it offers at least some subtle insights into things we're not paying attention to. I, there's nobody that doesn't struggle through a relationship. And I use the word struggle because it's, it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's tough enough to get through your life, much less somebody else's. So it's, it's, it's a rough gig. Um, what I found interesting is uh, you're a marriage counselor. Um, and I guess the, <laughs> the question would be, how did this happen to you? I, well, I was not. Ah. I, the divorce is what compelled me to, to, to really study oh. and work on this and try to like solve the mystery. And then it was the sort of accidental discovery that none of us know what we're doing <laughs> when we get into these relationships that made me want to, this is what I decided I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. Once I realized so many people were sort of like set up to fail in their relationships, I thought that was a real tragic scenario. Very interesting. I, I met a guy once uh, who was... Uh, He's a comedian, and he had just gotten divorced for the second time. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, I'm just not good at this. And I thought, wow, okay, that's just like very plain and simple. And he just realizes he's not good at this stuff. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I was not good at oh, relationship skills. I believe yeah. very strongly yeah. that study and practice are what you need to do to get good at yeah. anything. Yeah. And I don't believe study and practice are ways that the average person, <laughs> and if I'm going to pick on us, yeah. the average guy, yeah. thinks about like the relationships, that it requires some level of relational skills. I, yeah. I didn't know how to think about it that way. Yeah. I thought it was all about how good or bad I was as a human being, and yeah. I think that's a dangerous metric. Is marriage a different kind of relationship than all others? In other words, we all have friendships. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Uh, we have relationships with relatives. A lot of those don't work out. Um, is, is a marriage relationship like a, like a whole different ball game? I think it's I think it's unique, and and then I wish I could I wish I could explain like some sort of science based or data based mm -hmm. like argument for this. But the truth is, I think most of us have most of us have successful relationships at least with, with friends and coworkers and family. Mm -hmm. And 
So all around us, we're getting along with everyone just fine. Right. And the one person that seems to have the most complaints about us yeah. is our relationship partner. Yeah. And it's really easy, really easy to write them off as the statistical outlier when they're the only ones, quote unquote, complaining about us. Yeah. And, and to me, that's the real danger is that these subtle things that destroy our relationships are, are excuse me, are like our intimate romantic relationships. Yeah. Those identical behaviors don't necessarily destroy relationships with our parents, with our siblings, with our coworkers, with our friends. Yeah. And to me, that's the danger is how it disguise, it's disguised as harmless disagreement that doesn't matter anywhere else, mm-hmm. but it very much matters when you share homes yes. and resources and children. Yeah. And it just does. And I, again, that's the part of it where it's like, people might say, well, why, why can't our relationship partners give us the same benefit of the doubt everyone else does? And I don't have a good answer for that. I just believe in data. The data could, to, to me suggests that we can get away with this stuff in all our relationships, yeah. but it will absolutely erode trust to the point where we don't get to have a relationship anymore with the person that we've promised to love and honor all the days of our lives. Very interesting. Uh, what, what I appreciate here is that uh, bec- even though a relationship and marriage does not work out, doesn't make you a bad person, unless you're abusive, of course. I mean, there's certainly. But I mean, yes, as, as a, you know, just as a normal course, um, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. You can be a great person. That's right. I, the way that I talk about it in the book is I, I hold my grandmother up to hyperbolic esteem mm. and suggest that she has the most impeccable character on planet <laughs> Earth and that anyone who suggests otherwise is a dirty liar, or maybe <laughs> someone who just hasn't met her. Yeah. But then I point out that I wouldn't want my grandma to be building like high-rise buildings in New York City yeah. or, or piloting you know, an F1 race car or, or trying to repair my watch. She doesn't know how to do those things. They're not relevant to how decent of a human she is. And that same way, I'm like a decent guy. But yeah. You don't want me like being your civil engineer, building your bridges. Yeah. That will fall down <laughs> if I'm contracted to do that. So I have to learn how to build a bridge to be a good bridge builder. I have yeah. to learn how to be uh, a quality relationship partner in order to actually be one. And, and the, the two are not connected character. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the bottom line is the person you live with is going to be on your ass 24-7, whether you like it or not. And sometimes it'll be ingratiating. Sometimes it won't. Um, is, is marriage successful only if you understand that it's a matter of being tolerant <laughs> because that's going to come up all the time and whether you can weather the tolerance is how successful marriage is. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it, it really does. But I mean, I think there's sort of a nuanced response to that and mm-hmm. that's, do we demonstrate the requisite amount of like respect yeah, and care? Yeah. Do they trust us? I think a person will tolerate a lot of frustrating things mm-hmm. if at their core they believe us to, to have their back, to, 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 that we're going to show up for them day after day, year after year. Mm-hmm. And the problem with these really, really little nuanced things that we do in our relationships yeah. that erode trust is they communicate to somebody else that even if we think we're a good person, we're not going to show up for them five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. And when they come to that conclusion, they start to think about exiting the relationship and I understand that today in a way I didn't when I was napalming my marriage. Mm. But I mean, it's two way street. I mean, sometimes you, you can be thrown out of a marriage because the other person for some reason just can't tolerate that either. And, and you've done absolutely nothing weird or wrong. You wrote, you wrote a post in January, 2016, uh, called uh, she divorced yes, me sir. because I left the dishes by the sink. Um, that's kind of like, 
That was kind of smart. I mean, it was like, okay, it's a little title, but it says everything. Yeah, I um, and and I think you know a lot of people take that ultra literally, mm. and and they come back and they say, "Oh, she's a really petty person <laughs> like that." You have to let go of the small stuff, and yeah. I wish that they would think a little bit deeper about <laughs> what this means and think more. I mean, it's yeah. it's not just dishes or laundry no. or no. equality in terms of childcare. It's mm-hmm. it's symbolic of. If something mattered to her, mm-hmm. but it didn't matter to me, mm-hmm. I frequently treated the things she cared about as if they didn't matter because yeah. they didn't matter to me. And you will lose the trust of someone in a marriage yeah. or in a close-knit, cohabitating romantic relationship in which you don't value that which they value. If they can't trust you with yeah. the stuff that matters most to them, yeah. you're not going to have a quality relationship with them. And everybody gets to have a debate about whether they think that's fair or not. I just think that's, as a matter of fact, how it's going to work out. You know, I grew up in a generation where uh, you lived with uh, the other person for quite a long period of time before you got married. And it was frowned upon back then because the previous generation, they didn't do that. And I thought that would solve everything. If you can live with somebody, you've gone over the hurdle of of what it would be like. Uh, But that didn't seem to make a difference, did it? I I don't have data in the book on that, mm-hmm. but the data that I've read suggests that when you cohabitate, it correlates with divorce at a higher rate than people who waited. Really? And I, I, I don't know how to explain. I, and forgive me, I probably shouldn't be saying things no. that I can't back up on this conversation. No, it's, data, an, opi- it's an opinion. I mean, you, you went through it, and it's opinion, and yeah, it's, it's yeah. valid. I believe there's a correlation between the two, but I don't necessarily agree with it. It's probably not causality. Yeah. You know, it's probably circumstantial. Yeah. There's there's just so many reasons. Some people damage their relationships because they want to be on the defense instead of the offense and they turn around turn it around. I, we come in with so much baggage into these uh, uh, life-sharing situations. It's amazing that any of them work out. We do have uh, data that most of the marriages do fail. Yes, yes. There's a gentleman named Tai Tashiro who says that seven out of ten marriages fail. And what that accounts for is all of the marriages that legally end in divorce and then the percentage that are still together but miserable Mm -hmm. where where one partner or both partners don't actually want to be married. And I think we can maybe... It's semantically agreed that that's not a successful relationship. And when you think about the fact that marriage is a voluntary activity, mm-hmm. and statistically approximately 7 out of 10 unpleasant and or literally failing, yeah. it just speaks volumes, I think, about the lack of knowledge and skill yeah. that we enter marriage or long-term romantic relationships with. Yeah. It sets us up to fail, and I think it's really dangerous for everybody because yeah. we don't know. Yeah. that 10 years later, five years later, 15 years later, it's going to hurt as bad as it yeah. can for a lot of people. Yeah. Let me ask your opinion on something. Those that get married a second time, um, it appears that they last longer. Um, I, I don't know, but uh, I mean, not, not no, no data involved. Does one learn a lesson before they enter another relationship from a divorce or is it in your mind a pattern anyway? The numbers I have, and I find this terrifying, and it is in the book, is that 67% of second marriages in the United States specifically, can't speak to other countries, 67% fail. Uh 67% end in divorce. And what I think that indicates, if that's true, you know, I sourced it, 
but you know, that doesn't make it. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't go ask every person. Um, but if that, if there's any validity to that 67% number, I think it suggests strongly that people end their marriages before they've learned the lessons they need to avoid repeating the same mistakes in future relationships. Yeah. I think we have a tendency to believe the other yeah. person's responsible for the harm that's being caused. Wow. When I, and, and I advocate this idea of radical personal responsibility. Matthew, I could talk to you for hours here, and I think everybody else uh, would want to hear you for hours, but we're not allowed to do that by uh, virtue of, of the law here. So uh, I, I will highly recommend your book, This Is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. Is there a website people can visit? My home on the web is Matthew Frey. That's Matthew with two T's, MatthewFrey.com, and yeah, everything's there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. It's been a real pleasure, and thank you for doing this, and I hope you do more of it. Well, that'll do it for me today. You've been wonderful. I'll be back again tomorrow with a brand new program. I can't wait, can you? Until then, I wish you peace. Peace.